0: We're programmed for survival. So our instinct is to give up on these situations to move away from them. I thought if I didn't sign up for that race that I was just going to disappear. It doesn't have to be these big, huge things that everyone thinks you need to do to make a difference. You may have recently seen that Athletic Brewing is partnering with Netflix, specifically for one of our non-alcoholic brews called Geralt's Gold. Uh, It it is themed after The Witcher, one of Netflix's biggest shows right now. And uh, you might be thinking, you know, how does, you know, a a show like The Witcher and Netflix, uh, what does that have to do with Athletic Brewing? How do y'all collaborate? What does that mean? And what's to come? And so today we're talking to Andrew Katz, who is our CMO, uh, Chief Marketing Officer, about that partnership specifically. And also we're going to hear a little bit about how Andrew even ended up here in the first place because he's had some pretty major roles doing some really cool things at other companies too. So we're going to kind of learn more about him, his background, his trajectory towards athletic brewing, and then also what is in store for the relationship between Athletic and Netflix because it's a big deal. And also, this episode was recorded before something we were doing uh, came out, but now that it's out, go check it out on YouTube. It is a series we're doing uh, where Andrew, uh, let's just say, gets into character. So if you wanna check that out, it's linked in the show notes, and you can also just go to Athletic Brewing's YouTube channel to to watch what Andrew's been doing in character. All right, folks, welcome to Without Compromise. You heard a little about Andrew in the intro, but we're going to formally welcome Andrew Katz, the CMO here at Athletic Brewing. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing above average, Mason. It's Friday, right before the holiday weekend. We sell a lot of beer. The weather's great, so I'm excited.
0: You're up in the Northeast. Are you at the brewery today?
1: Not at today. I am I'm in Westchester, New York, but I'm, I'm making sure that all of our beer deliveries are making it out to market because you can't buy what you don't have.
0: Yes, I like that. Well, take us through it. Talk to us about this, you know, campaign we're doing with Netflix, with Geralt's Gold and The Witcher. Um, that is, for folks that have followed Athletic for a while, that, that, that seems like a big step, like a much bigger step than a lot of our other collaborations have been even. This feels like another chapter, frankly.
1: The thing that is great, uh, you know, around brand partnerships these days is most start with sort of like a, an app, like sort of a, LinkedIn is sort of like the modern dating platform for brands. So, you know, I think you're cute. You think I'm cute. You know, should we should we meet? Should we talk? Should we get a coffee? And so that's really how the Netflix relationship began. It began with a, a little flirtation on on LinkedIn and, you know, they had reached out to us, uh, were very intrigued by the things that we're doing, and proposed that we, you know, have a chat about what we might do together. So uh, we, I personally was incredibly flattered and, you know, quickly started to lay a, a framework and a groundwork for how we might work together. And fast forward to uh, this Monday, the beginning of uh, the, the last week of May, or second to last week of May where we launched our first project together, which is around The Witcher, which is one of their top rated shows. To answer your question, what's so compelling about Netflix is how ubiquitous they are in households today. Mm -hmm. Streaming has eclipsed terrestrial television in terms of viewing hours. So more people watch streaming than they do conventional television, which is a seismic shift in media consumption habits. So when the number one platform in streaming comes and knocks at your door,
0: you open it and you say, "Let's talk." To go back to the dating uh, analogy, you know, there's there's even when you do, we are in the the dating world. There's this idea that there's just certain people out of your league. I would think Netflix is out of our league in the sense of it's just that's a long shot, but clearly that's not the case. We're, we're This is our league now. Are people finding that surprising or did you find that surprising that Netflix looked our way?
1: I, I think on behalf of the brand, on behalf of the company, I was flattered. The Athletic Brewing Company has made its way onto a lot of other brands' radars and are seeing what we're doing. And I think being inspired by it, what we're doing is different. We're a disruptor. We've entered a category that really hadn't changed much in 30 years and we're making NA beer cool. And, and that's not an easy thing to do necessarily. So when you're having a decent amount of success, people start to notice. So for, for me, on behalf of the company, on behalf of the brand, you know, part of part of my job as CMO is really to be an ambassador, right? A, a lot of what the role entails is reaching out, you know, outbound for, th- for companies that we'd love to work with or people we'd love to work with. And then also being the receiver of inbound messaging, people who are reaching out saying, Hey, we'd love to do something with you all.
0: From what you've learned, cause I know this has been like a process and getting to know them. What, what are some of like, maybe the surprising similarities between maybe the ethos of Netflix and kind of their mission and, and athletic
1: the similarities between the companies are not size, <laughs> but the similarities yeah, out of are, our league. You know, <laughs> yeah. But but the similarities are they uh, they like us care deeply about their fans, and the reason why they do programs like this with companies like Athletic are really to bring fandom to the next level to bring their viewers closer to the shows and the actors and the actresses that they love so much. And we similarly really care deeply about our drinkers. And we've always been very thoughtful about being in real life and sampling and, you know, not outsourcing those things to other companies, but it's our employees, it's our brewers, it's our marketing team, it's our operations team, and so forth, who are really interacting directly with our customers. And that personal touch goes, you know, to the heart of this relationship. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, our ethos is, and the thing that makes this partnership work so well, is kind of come up with this umbrella concept of anytime, anywhere. And the idea is that we want to make sure that great entertainment, great refreshment can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere. Netflix, because you can literally take that entertainment with you no matter where you are. And athletic, because we're fit for all times. You can drink us all throughout the course of the day, lots of different day parts, lots of different beers that we brew. So that concept of just really surprising and delighting customers wherever they want it, that really is at the core of why this partnership is not only just The Witcher, but it's really a multi-year relationship where we'll also do some other programs together and collaborate on a collaboration uh, brew.
0: So there's more to come, which is exciting. You know, a lot, a lot of times it is like you, you 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 know, with a lot of collaborations, they are short-term or they are a one. Kind of everything focused on one big campaign, then it's kind of kind of fizzles out. Maybe it's a yearly thing, you know, if it's something to do with seasons. But why the why why does The Witcher make sense? Because you know, I know for a lot of the stuff, you want to see the product. Obviously, it's hard to get like aluminum cans into a show like The Witcher to be seen on screen. So, so what is it about this show that that works for us?
1: We know that The Witcher is our opening chance to really understand how to work together, to really understand how to bring the customer experience to life that we want, but we're going to learn a ton. And what we also appreciated about the relationship with Netflix was their openness, their willingness to do this first uh, program together, Mm -hmm. but as a way to learn about how to work together and how to get even bigger, better, and bolder the next time through. So that's sort of like the background to to your question. The Witcher itself, the reason why they were very keen to bring it to us is there's actually quite a lot of beer drinking in the show. So it's not at all gratuitous. You're right, an aluminum can would have felt quite out of place for the time period that The Witcher is taking place in, but socializing, being together, that's very much a part of the Witcher ethos. So beer is very central to what happens on the program itself.
0: And, you know, as part of this, I feel like we've really, you know, it's exciting, you know, when you talk about any of our partners, whether it be Barnsley football club, the Witcher, um, any of the brands we've worked with, we, we become big fans of that. And of them and their success too which is really fun like it's we get in tr- introduced to all these new communities and companies doing amazing things in other segments and other industries and um it's like the the communities converge and i feel like for the witcher we you know we, we we've slowly become fans if we weren't already yep. of this series and i feel like you have, have almost taken it to an extreme with some stuff that's going to be coming out soon where you you kind of you really get into character.
1: Absolutely. I, I think, you know, one of the, one of the great joys of being uh, CMO at athletic brewing is that I, I get to not only kind of help shape some of these things, but I also get to really invest my time, energy, and effort behind them. So yes, there is uh, there is some great content coming, coming out where we take the partnership to its next logical conclusion.
0: <laughs> I don't know if it's the next logical conclusion, but it is a conclusion uh, we took it to. and I got, I got a little insight into what that's what that is and uh, I don't want to say too much. It was it was awesome though. CMO at Athletic Bruin. You're going to find yourself in some situations that you probably didn't foresee when you took this role on. What led you even here to athletic? Cause you've been with us for over a year, year and a half now, approaching yep. two years before you know it, which for a startup and for a company that's only five years old, that's, that's a really, you know, a year and a half is almost, it's accelerated. It's like three years compact into that or four years compact into that at a company that's been around a lot longer. What compelled you to come work here, bring your talents to, Milford, Connecticut.
1: Well, I appreciate I appreciate the generous generosity of that that comment. It was a combination of factors. The timing just worked extraordinarily well. I've spent time, I spent my first decade as a marketer at Pepsi right out of business school. And I was incredibly fortunate to have worked with some, honestly, some of the best and brightest and most talented people in in the CPG marketing world who've gone on many of whom have gone on to like incredible jobs and they're still very much a part of my network and when I ever have any real you know kind of need to get some input or or want to get some career advice that's the first those are the first people I reach out to and the network is incredibly strong and um, so that, that was a very formative experience. You learn what you learn in business school, and then you go experience it working for a company like Pepsi, where you just get such incredible training and resources and very muscular brands and incredibly talented people. From, from that point, I moved uh, and did something different. And I think this has been a hallmark of my career so far is not to stay too comfortable, and and really to try and take on different types of challenges. I got hired by American Express to go run global advertising and brand management there. So that was everything from the brand American Express to a lot of our business units, including uh, Small Business and Small Business Saturday, and a lot of the really, you know, interesting things that as a financial services brand, Amex does that most financial services companies don't do, and that's why they still to this to this day have one of the most you know powerful, strongest brands in that industry. And then um, you know I had an opportunity to go and work for Heineken USA and run the Dos Equis brand in the United States, and another very daunting marketing challenge, one of the most well-known most beloved campaigns of all time especially in the beer category the most interesting man in the world and it was you know probably overdue to be reinvented
0: you explained that reasoning on backcountry marketing a podcast and that was i just never thought about it that way and it made so much sense and and clearly like what were some of those indicators letting you know that it's time to move on so a lot of
1: yeah. So, so just a quick story. So the yeah, most interesting
0: stories, I love a story. So
1: the, the most interesting man in the world campaign was uh, started by Havas, uh, our advertising agency. And it was, it, it kind of took on a life of its own. I think in hindsight, people would realize, you know, the concept was so powerful, but you, you stayed with the same, Actor for too long. And it was really going to be very difficult to reinvent that because he was so synonymous with the campaign. But it was time. And the reason we knew it was time was because we started to see some of our brand attributes slipping, brand health slipping, sales slipping among younger generation drinkers. And the lifeblood for pretty much any beer brand in the world is always on road or on ramping new drinkers to your brand, right? Because they're gonna be the the lifeblood of, of the future of your franchise. Beer also happens to be a, a repertoire category where I drink seven to ten different brands with pretty uh, you know strong regularity. They're not without outside of those 10, I'm probably not drinking much. So in order to be a successful brand you really need to break into someone's repertoire before they have formed it so younger drinkers are still doing a lot of experimentation if you can introduce your brand early enough they're in your you know all of a sudden you're in their consideration set anytime they walk down the beer aisle
0: it's kind of like sports not a lot of people switch and I, i don't know this for sure but it i feel anecdotally not a lot of people switch fan bases who have been fans of a team for a really really long time it happens but I feel like if you're a you know I don't know Phillies fan or uh, Eagles fan you know trying to I know you are you're not gonna just up and switch to a Jets fan or whatever it is
1: now half your audience just shut off the podcast because they're like, oh, he's, a, he's an Eagles fan, click. Uh,
0: so I, I'm not, that's you um, for anyone asking. But it, it's it feels similar. You have to establish those relationships early.
1: Yeah, so you establish a relationship early. To answer your question, so we started to see some slippage among younger drinkers. We knew the campaign, while successful and well-loved, wasn't converting at the same rate that it had been. So it was time to reimagine what the most interesting in the man, most interesting man in the world campaign could be, should be, would be. And we, we did a tremendous amount of creative exploration, did a lot of testing. And the hypothesis at the time was we will be just like a James Bond franchise where James Bond, the character is much bigger than any actor that might play James Bond and the storytelling and the, Special effects and all of those things is what keeps audiences entertained and keep them coming back for more. So that was our hypothesis. So we searched around the world to try and find a new, perhaps more Gen Z, uh, millennially friendly, uh, most interesting man in the world. We found an actor in France and he became the new most interesting man in the world. In hindsight, the lesson I learned was sometimes campaigns are great for a reason and you really actually need to start fresh. Hmm. And in hindsight, I think that would have been the more expedient thing to do, the harder thing to do, but the more expedient thing to do culturally also. And I talked about this on, on another podcast, interesting became very commoditized because Everybody was interesting. Instagram was starting to really become very important. YouTube. So you could consume truly interesting things anytime, any day. You didn't have to wait for a new commercial from Dos Equis to come out and show you something fantastic. It was everywhere. It was ubiquitous. So the concept that kind of the conceit of the campaign also probably needed to evolve.
0: Hmm. You know, I've noticed there's been a resurgence of the audio from a lot of those commercials uh, laid over kind of footage of people living their interesting lives. I've seen that a lot lately. Um, I don't know if you've noticed like TikTok and Instagram, the, a lot of reels, it, it'll be playing the original audio yeah. from those commercials and, you know, doing whatever that person's into. And it's usually funny. Um, and I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. It, has, it still has tons of life.
1: Yeah, and and I think the reason why is because it was so smart. The uh the, the writing was so good and and so funny and and humor was also very much at the core of the brand. So you asked me a question that was actually a very short question, which I've taken about now ten minutes to answer. Oh, wow,
0: it's super interesting though. Do you have a most interesting man in the world fact? Because I have one. Mine is uh his uh, thank you letters implore people to write your welcome letter.
1: <laughs> yeah, my my, I think my favorite line was uh, his. His mother had a tattoo that said "son." <laughs> just, I mean, just brilliant.
0: It's so quotable. It's so, it's so quotable. quotable,
1: and it's also I think the inside around. I don't always right. I don't always, and you can throw any any line in there. But when I do, again, it's almost like a Mad Libs, right? I don't always fill in the blank, but when I do, fill in the other blank. Genius construct.
0: So what's interesting about that too, which I've heard you talk about, is like you were doing something, because this all kind of sets up to where you are now. You were doing something different in the brewing industry, which is saying, I don't always drink beer. What kind of brewery would say that? Like, I don't yeah. drink beer all that often is basically how it could be rephrased. But when I do, and you're kind of stating the obvious, everyone's not drinking beer all the time, even drinkers. It's limited occasions and limited times. um, And you're just calling that out right up front, which is probably a huge taboo in the brewing industry. And, And that was almost a taste of what you'd experience here, really calling that out and saying, no, actually even people that drink a lot, most of the time you're not drinking. That's right. And here's all those occasions Athletic Brewing can fill in. So it's really interesting how it almost kind of was an introduction into that mindset.
1: Absolutely. I give a ton of credit to the people that came before me on the brand who actually had to pitch the campaign to the distributor network, as you know, In beer, we don't sell direct to retail, we go through distributors. Distributors are really the lifeblood that get beer from our breweries to all the stores where we go and shop and buy beer. So the, uh, the, the legend had it that that creative was shared and the room was just quiet, just like you could hear a pin drop when, I don't always drink beer, but when I do. I prefer Dos because to your point, who says they don't always drink beer in a beer commercial? So it took a lot of courage to do that. And, and for me, that's been a lesson about if you always do the things that are safe and feel safe, you're probably not going to move the needle that much. So you have to have conviction about wanting to swing for the fences. And when you swing for the fences, you may not always get there. But if you never swing for the fences, you will absolutely never get there.
0: Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, I, I feel like uh, you kind of went off to start your own company, kind of found your own company around fitness uh, yep. and around instructors. And so you went and swung for the fences after that, before you got here at Athletic Bruin. tell us about that experience. And I do want to know, had fitness always been part of your interest or part of like the core of who you are? I really feel like it's just, it's, you know, anytime I'm around you or we're talking or spend time together, it is fitness centric. Had that always been the case for you in some of these companies where it's probably not as much of the focus?
1: Fitness. Yeah. Is very core to who I am and, and kind of what, brings me joy and and also keeps me mentally sane fitness uh is is one of those things where i I feel like it's as important as you know sleeping and brushing my teeth like getting out and doing something physical and and being in tune with nature and and just um being i find a lot of my best ideas or at least initial thoughts around uh creative ideas or or even strategic things happen on a run or happen on a yoga mat or somewhere where I can really kind of not be distracted by anything else that's happening and really just kind of let my mind wander and go to a creative place or to a strategic place where I can just have fewer thoughts outside of like that one thing I'm trying to solve for. So yeah, it's always been really important. And then I got certified to teach indoor cycling, which I've been doing for a really long time. I teach at Equinox uh, in New York, and it's always been sort of a passion project of mine. I love being able to deliver an experience to people in 45 minutes where they walk away and they feel better than they walked in the room. And then for the rest of the day, hopefully they've got a nice endorphin high, and they're feeling good about what they accomplished, what they achieved. And so that's a really gratifying experience for me. And I noticed that one of the things, uh, one of my frustrations as, as an instructor was putting together a really compelling class, and that would include format and music and sequencing, is um, there's not really a great workflow to handle that. A lot of instructors that I started to talk to about it, They use notebooks or they just kind of pull a playlist. And for a lot of people, a lot of instructors don't get paid for that time. So they invest very little into it. But ultimately, as with anything, the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. So if I have a a really well thought through and prepared class, the experience on the other side of that with my riders will be disproportionately higher. So I um, was really intrigued to go see if I could solve that problem and it seemed like it was long overdue to be solved. So I left Heineken and, and started this entrepreneurial entrepreneurial endeavor, which was on the one hand exciting and you know, just everything that entrepreneurship is about, but also on the other hand, is lonely and hard and you know, all the other truths about going and pursuing an idea. So I you know was able to launch an iOS app we had thousands of users and then covid hit and we had to figure out with all the gyms closed and instructors not instructing what what would we do we pivoted we created an online interface for instructors to directly monetize their uh, fans and and customers, and it was a live streaming platform for creative uh, fitness instructors. I had met Bill actually.
0: The, our co our co founder founder. Yeah, sorry, Bill
1: Shufield, uh and John Walker, the two co founders of Athletic Brewing. Bill's the CEO, uh, but but both co founders. So Bill, back in the day, and this was twenty eighteen, Bill would basically you know load up the back of his car with Athletic beer go to different road races up and down the east coast and go participate in the race whatever it was and then you know pop open the sampling tent and hand out beer so he and i both ran this half marathon trail race and at the end of the race i stagger across the finish line it was a super hot day super humid and i see this athletic brewing tent i'm thinking nothing's ever sounded as good. I had no idea what it was, but I'm like, yes, just yes. Cause it's going to taste a hell of a lot better than water. And there's Bill hanging out sampling. Uh, I think probably it was just upside Dawn and maybe run wild. I think back then. Yeah. I think good. it was just Upside Dawn, which is our golden ale. And uh, he and I just hung out and just talked because I was in the beer industry working for Heineken at the time. And he was telling me his story and just one of the nicest, most humble guys that i ever met. Fast forward to when I got the call about athletic brewing and I was like, oh, I know Bill. He won't remember me, but I definitely remember meeting him. The thing that I still find remarkable is just how humble both Bill and John are in spite of all the success that they've had. And now I, I just have this profound appreciation for how hard entrepreneurship is. And I don't think had I not done that myself, I would really understand like the odds were so stacked against them, like the likelihood of them succeeding and getting to the point where we are today were so high and almost insurmountable. Most people would have given up a long time ago. And so I just always have really respected their persistence, their humility uh, in the process, and also just their clear mission and vision behind who Athletic is, what we stand for, and just being you know, totally uncompromising on making the best beer that you can drink that happens not to have any alcohol in it.
0: I, I kind of want to ask you something that, because you're in a unique position to answer, you founded something that probably didn't go as planned when you first started or as you wanted it to, but it led to where you are now, which you couldn't foresee exactly how this road would have laid out um, into the role you're doing now and working with companies like Netflix in this position. But w- what what can you tell the person that really does want to kind of take a leap of faith or step out of the nest of something that's a little more secure and in knowing that it might not go to plan or that the odds are really are stacked against you. What, what have you learned through that process? I think that's really interesting and your that venture didn't go how you planned, but some really cool things have happened because of that step of faith.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've learned so much because things didn't go according to plan. So I learned, I, you know, very humbling lessons. But I know you'd ask the question about how did I end up here? For me, this role at Athletic and Athletic as a company really checked like the most important boxes for me. One is entrepreneurship, and I still feel like. The company has so much entrepreneurial spirit. There's still this like roll up your sleeves and get stuff done and you're not outsourcing it. You're actually doing it. So that's number one. Number two, our focus on health and wellness and fitness and well-being is also core to who I am. And I get to live that truth every single day. And then the third and probably the most fun thing is people come together over beer, whether it has alcohol in it or not, is a very social occasion for the most part and bringing people together ultimately is what we're about. And those three things make this just like an incredible role. And I feel, you know, honestly, and genuinely very lucky to be in this position and I'm grateful every day that I get to do what I'm doing for a living. Having been through much tougher times, you know, as my own solo entrepreneur, what I would say to people who want to go pursue something you know, that's theirs, and this is advice that I got from a great mentor of mine, obsess about the problem. Obsess about the problem. Really be able to clearly articulate what problem are you going to solve? And then when you have that articulated, make sure that you've got a painkiller and not a vitamin. Everyone knows you should take a vitamin but if you skip a couple of days, nothing happens. But if you're in pain, you need a painkiller. So make sure that you're not just creating another vitamin for the world that people can skip and not really need. And the thing that I really appreciate about what Bill and John have created is they've created this incredible product, really the best on the market. And they've really solved a big pain point for a lot of people And that's one of the reasons why it's been so successful is because what Bill felt himself and the reason why he started the company in the first place, like that was his own pain point. But the truth is that he was representative of a lot of people out in the world who are looking to drink more mindfully, looking to find a great alternative to be social that wasn't like a seltzer or a soda, and then tied it to that something bigger. And having some, so, so the second part of that question is what is your something bigger, right? Because if your only mo- motivation is just to make money, that's not gonna be enough. Having some real purpose in the world that people gravitate towards, that's also to me, like those are the two things, obsess about the problem, make sure it's a painkiller, and then have a really clear articulation of that's something bigger that you're gonna deliver in the world that helps to make it a better place.
0: Mm. That is really good. The painkiller. Not mine. One of my mentors. Yeah. And... yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we don't know. Yeah, just, just take it. Just Andrew. Just take it as yourself. Andrew Katz. Um, that's awesome. I love that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish up here the last few minutes with some rapid fire questions. They don't have to be one word, just a phrase or two, but a little bit more to learn about you and, and, and what you're like. Proudest achievement outside of work.
1: My, my, my family, my two boys, my wife, my two dogs, just, you know, trying to, trying to be a good role model for them and watching them grow and, you know, make their own mistakes and pick themselves back up and, you know, trying to teach them grit and to be good people. Like that's my proudest achievement. It's still a work in progress. Let's be clear. I don't think you ever finish that job.
0: (laughs) You're farther down than I am. With the parenthood thing. So you tell me if there's a finish line. Because uh, I don't know. I don't I don't think so. No. Biggest goal not yet achieved. This could be personal. This could be with Athletic. Actually, give me a little bit of both. Sure.
1: Um, professionally, making Athletic a, a famous household name, that to me is like the ultimate success in my role. When I say Athletic, everyone's like, I oh, love Athletic. To make that really truly universal would be Sort of the the pinnacle of of a CMO role
0: in a positive way. In a positive way. That, I don't want to find like a toe in our can one day. And- <laughs> no, to
1: do it because it's a brand that people truly love and understand what we what were about and and you know are grateful that we exist and that would be that would be a crowning achievement. And then personally, um, the thing that I've always really. St- strive for is just to continue to be a a learner, you know, that I don't pretend to know it all and to be in situations where I can continue to challenge my thinking, expand my knowledge and just continue to grow and, you know, become more (laughs) self-actualized, you know, and, and my, my 11 year old son asked me the other day, like, why are we here? I thought it was a pretty profound question for an 11 year old and I, you know, I gave him my answer, but I think we're here really to try and explore and discover and challenge ourselves, you know, to, to not get set in our ways and to meet new people and try new things. And, you know, to me, like that's the ultimate success is having the ability to continue to go and out into the world and do those things that don't always put you in your comfort zone.
0: Mm. A- Andrew, one thing I've learned about you, because I know we're getting close to the end, is uh, you love music. You got a great taste in music, way more vast than mine. And one thing you said when we, you first started here, something to the effect of don't trust anybody that doesn't know what karaoke song they have, like ready to go, what they'd sing in that moment. Do you have a karaoke song that you like uh, a go to if it was like, hey, you got to sing karaoke right now?
1: Yeah, so the the two things I'll leave you with one is don't trust anyone that doesn't have a go to karaoke song. So if you ask them what's your go to karaoke song and they don't have an answer, my my general response is it was nice meeting you. So mine mine is uh, Kings of Leon, "Sex on Fire," which is is very much a crowd pleaser, and uh, you know you can't help but love the entertainer that's bringing that to you.
0: Yeah. Dang. I didn't expect that one. It's a, yeah, a crowd pleaser for sure. pleaser. And then, uh, you know, my,
1: my other kind of just philosophy for how to, to stay kind of current is never stop listening to new music, right? Don't get stuck in the eighties or the nineties or whatever, you know, generation you were that grow, like always be open to new things, find younger friends, like get, you know, friends who are younger than you that will teach you new things and then, you know, the obvious one, get out, be healthy, eat well, get sleep, you know, take care of your, take care of your body, take care of yourself. Sweet. And I hope I'm here a hundred years from now, you know, when we regroup on this, maybe not a hundred, but maybe 50. Yeah. And we regroup and we say, how are you doing on those goals?
0: Well, I'll, I'll put it on your calendar if it's up to date. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. All right. Andrew, can in there.
1: Right on. Mason, it's Sweet. been a pleasure. All right, man. Talk Cheers. later. All
0: right. See you, Mason. Well, there you have it, folks. That is Andrew Katz, just part of his story. If you want to learn more, there's some other great podcasts out there. Uh, and if you want to try Gerald's Gold, go to athleticbrewing.com. Order right then and there. Get it shipped to your house. And be sure to be following us on social media because we've got some exciting things coming out specifically about this brew and The Witcher and Netflix and, well, Andrew. So be watching because it's going to be entertaining.